0: hey it's greg brady welcome to the toronto today podcast for the 5th of october on a tuesday we talk long-term care with the minister of long-term care and ajax mpp member of the conservative party rod phillips lots to talk about with mandatory vaccines coming in booster shots for our seniors and the issues of what we need from the federal government how we need the federal government and the provincial government to work together on this this should not be an issue of political partisanship. This should not be about ideology, long-term care. We're all going to get old. We all know someone who knows someone who knows someone in these homes. We have to do better. We haven't done well enough. And that goes back a good 20 years now, doesn't it? 23, 24 years. Uh, Eric Eiffel joining us on the show as well. We're talking about the op-ed that Annie Paul uh, suffered at the hands of Elizabeth May. Elizabeth May wrote a bit of a scathing. Um, op-ed in the Toronto Star about Annamie Paul. And a lot of people had thoughts on it. Erica sure did. Jennifer Pagliaro on the latest from city council, including the Supreme court decision last week that says it was not unconstitutional that Doug Ford basically blew up city council and reduced the numbers into these mega wards that we know now exist. And we also talk about the decision that council made last night to not have an inquiry into police methods and the planning into clearing out homeless encampments which did turn violent with clashes between police protesters and yes encampment residents and anthony fury with his weekly visit from the toronto sun on a number of issues including covid in schools that's all next on the toronto today pod we're going to get right to it we want to welcome in the minister of long-term care for the province of ontario and mpp for ajax he is the honorable rod phillips rod thank you very much for making the time for me it's great to talk to a fellow ajax resident as well so i appreciate you making the time
1: morning greg great to, great to be on with
0: you Sam. uh friday was an important day um and i know a significant day and i know it it made a lot of people exhale what was the tipping point for you in mandating long-term care workers be vaccinated
1: you know, starting in July, Greg, we were asking each home and monitoring month by month the staff vaccination rates. And, and we're at, you know, close to nine out of 10 long-term care workers vaccinated. But talking to the chief medical officer, that's just not a level that's high enough given how, uh, you know, how potent the Delta virus can be. and And we're doing relatively well, particularly compared to other province when it comes to both vaccination rates and, and, and the uh, community spread of COVID, but we just can't be too careful with the group. So, so Friday, I uh, signed the minister's directive to make sure that all long-term care workers will be vaccinated. Um, we hope that they get vaccinated. It's important. I know having met with a lot of the frontline PSWs and nurses, they they care deeply for their residents. And, and I think that We'll see most of
0: them do that. You mentioned statistically Friday, uh, Rod, some shockingly low rates in in a couple LTC homes. That's very random. That's how that's how numbers work. That's how math sometimes works. Did did that surprise even you that there was a home in the neighborhood of 40 percent? That rattled a lot of people when they heard that. And it must have rattled you as well.
1: It, it did. And of course, w- when we first saw that number the first month, we worked with those homes, but uh, but we weren't seeing the numbers go up. Across Toronto, and I have to say Toronto is in a pretty good place uh, in terms of vaccination rates, but there are five homes that have rates less than 80%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we've got, we've got a, a vaccination rate among the population that's higher than that, it's just not acceptable that people that are dealing with those kinds of vulnerable uh, residents don't have those rates. So, you know, half of all the homes had made their own decisions to put these mandates in place. Um, we wanted to make sure, A, they got done a bit quicker by by middle of November. That gives people time to have their first dose and their second dose. Also gives us time to make sure that the staff will be in place if there are some homes that uh, some people make a choice not to get vaccinated.
0: Conservative MPP and Ontario Long-Term Care Minister Rod Phillips is our guest on Toronto Today on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Was was there enough discussion of this critical issue, long-term care federally? If I said, Rod, what do you need from the federal government to work in union here? Because this, to me, this won't be a very political issue when we all continue to age. This isn't about tax rates or this isn't about uh, how much we spend on the arts. This is, this is something I think we're all very much aligned with, that we all have to do better taking care of our elderly.
1: You're you're absolutely right. This is an area where uh, there's a lot of consensus. I mean, we're adding we're adding beds, thirty thousand beds. We've got two hundred and twenty construction projects going on right now. Um, we're adding staff. There'll be twenty seven thousand more staff. So we raise the level of care, and I'll be I'll be bringing in legislation to make sure the accountability, the enforcement, and the transparency is there. But the federal government, there was some discussion of this. But you know, we talk uh, broadly about the federal government having to increase their support from health care from around twenty five percent to thirty percent, thirty five percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would that would help. Um, because this is an area, as you said, where the population is aging. We have wait lists. um, We have the experience of COVID. Um, We know we need to hire more staff. We know we need to pay them fairly. So we'll be having those discussions um, with the federal government once they get their cabinet sorted out. And, uh, you know, hopefully this, uh, I think the prime minister uh, made some commitments and the rest of the members or the rest of the leaders said good things. So hopefully that'll turn into support for for our elders.
0: I think the tone of the conversation, this is my read, has become, uh, of long-term care, has become, more calm more civil it it was a panic you we can all agree probably on that in the spring of 2020 it was the whole sector felt like a house on fire i'd never put you in a position to comment on a fellow mpp uh and dr fullerton that's not right but what i have heard about you is people are impressed by your tone and your empathy when i say that's what i hear from people how do you react how have you approached the job
1: well really spending the time uh, to to speak with families spending the time to speak with labor leaders we've met with all the major labor leaders but the most most educational thing i've done greg is i've dropped by about a dozen homes just on my own or brought an inspector with me uh, unannounced just to see what goes on and and to experience it and we all have our own experience of family members mm-hmm and you know i what i've met i mean the people who work uh, the psws the people who work the nurses i mean i was at uh, orchard villa which is a home that's had a share of its challenges uh, out in out in pickering and i actually took the local mpp who's oh. also our finance minister peter beffenfoldi it's a good way to make sure that we continue to get the money for for long term care but yes <laughs> you, you meet are in there at 6:30 in the morning you meet people coming off a 12 hour shift um you know that are that are doing a job that that many many of us wouldn't wouldn't choose to do so so it's it's been really about taking the time i've had since june to speak to People and to listen. Uh, there has been a lot of talk about this space, a lot of good recommendations. Now I think people want to see action, and hopefully that's what they're going to see this fall between the legislation and the new building and, and the new
0: staffing. Rod Phillips, our guest, uh, Ontario Minister of Long Term Care. I know we've only got a couple minutes, so I'll move quickly for you. We're offering now third doses of the provinces to long term care residents as of the middle of last week. Sixty four percent got their third dose. Is that a good number? Is that where we should be? Uh, I know you've probably got goals and, and numbers in mind as to where we go over the next several weeks. Yeah,
1: and this is where this is where I have to give a shout out to Kieran Moore, the chief medical officer. Back in August, we made the decision with his uh, his his support to start third third doses um, before any other province, frankly, anywhere else in in North America. We hope to have everybody who is eligible for a shot um, have a shot by the end of this week, uh, and I think that is going to make a difference. Uh, It's it's um, you know this. Covid is a moving target. We can't be careful enough, particularly with our long-term care homes. That's why the mandatory vaccinations. That's why we got ahead on the boosters, um, and that's why we'll keep, you know, we'll keep doing what we need to do.
0: I want to give you a more macro question to end this. Uh, no one signed up to be a, a politician during uh, Covid. No one did. Um, what have you learned about? The challenge of doing this in in adverse circumstances you've had a lot of success in the private sector i've heard from a couple mps who who were you know uh in this recent election they risked a lot to go into public service in 2019 they give up you give up privacy your spouses do your kids kind of do even and you live this very publicly at at christmas i only bring that up because you made yourself accountable said the trip was an error in judgment do you like do you look and say uh, there's been a lot of lessons learned about doing this challenge so publicly in adverse circumstances in a global pandemic
1: yeah great you know listen i appreciate you bringing it up listen, public service is is an honor it's it's something that uh, that uh, it's a privilege to get to do and you have to keep your your eye on the ball throughout that in terms of what the public needs and public wants um, but people, I find, and uh, and and particularly in Ajax, but I'll say generally, are are very reasonable about uh, about expectations. They know we're going through a once in a hundred year experience. That doesn't mean that they agree with everything that the premiers had to do or that mm-hmm. we've had to do. But but people are are very reasonable. They are very uh, supportive. Um, they also let you know what they think, particularly in Ajax and Durham. Um, but that's okay. So. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, but you just have to remember it's a it's a privilege to do it and uh, and and again nobody expects you to be perfect but they do expect you to uh, to to do your best and in the case of something like our, our long-term care um, you know there's just so obviously so many things that need to be done better so mm. I, I think it's gonna be as you said the, the the fires come out of the issue a little bit because people just want to see results
0: we yeah we, we all want the same uh, we, yeah we, we all want uh, we, we all want good things good results at the end of the day because uh, I said it's it's uh it's inevitable we all we all age we all get older um I thank you for your public service I thank you for taking the time for me today thanks for doing this
1: thank you Greg talk to you soon
0: Rod Phillips uh, is the minister of long-term care by the way before the end of the show we're going to talk about this concert coming to Toronto with uh new kids on the block on Vogue I'm there for that and Rick Astley and now that Rick A- Rick Astley was uh they just did that in Ted lasso they just did the never gonna give you up um at the funeral uh, now that's not fair I It's one thing to spoil say anything from 1989. It's another thing to spoil last week's Ted Lasso. I apologize on behalf of somebody not stopping me from doing that. Um, I really want to talk about uh, this op-ed that Elizabeth May wrote with Anime Paul, and we didn't get enough uh, time to amplify it yesterday. Erica Eiffel is Hill Times columnist, founder of Equity and Inclusion Consultancy. Not in my color. Thank you very much for coming on the show again. I loved our chat last week. Uh, Glad you made it back. Can I interest you in a New Kids on the Block on Vogue Rick Astley concert? Like, that's a lot of hits right there, Erica. It is.
2: I saw that Ted Lasso. I was, I loved it. I loved it because literally, okay, a little background. Yeah. I my first trip to England was in like 1987 or 88 when Rick Astley was like hot and he was everywhere. So Rick Astley is like, uh, it's in my my childhood memories. And on Vogue, are you kidding?
0: Are you kidding me? I know, I know. And there are a lot. At, you know, you just you just listen to me, like a kid, uh, a kid from the the mean streets of London, Ontario. Um, you know, nobody, nobody loved uh, my love, and you're never gonna get it more than me. And to follow that up with "Free Your Mind," and people forget yeah. for people forget uh, what a man. Like that's not just Salt and pepper. They're on that track also
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: all right, <laughs> all right, here we go. did you think um I got to ask you this because this you know this is a loaded quiz a million dollar question. You first hear never going to give you up on the radio, did you think Rick Astley looked like he looks? be honest, he sounds like Barry White,
2: oh yeah, we thought he was black
0: that's right, that's right, yeah. not as- yeah. he might have thought he was briefly oh. singing like that, I don't know.
2: there was a whole discussion in the committee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, no, have
2: this discussion.
0: <laughs> no one's mistaken any of the new kids for being black sounding. No, I don't, don't think, think that's me. no, that that hasn't.
2: Is Donnie Wahlberg going to be on that tour? Because isn't he like?
0: Acting? Yes. But yeah, okay. of 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 course, yeah, absolutely. It's all five of them. It's Jordan Knight. It's everybody nobody's holding out on this tour. Donnie Wahlberg is uh I know he's been on Blue Bloods for like twenty-eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's fifty-two, so he's kind of a new man on the block, but they all are by this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> oh
2: my god, I'm old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why we're commiserating together. That's why we'll we'll plan a field <laughs> trip and uh and you're invited. Now, okay, okay. We're smiling, we're laughing. A lot of people weren't when they read Elizabeth May's uh, op-ed yesterday in the star. So here's the headline. I I urge people to seek it out. She wrote uh, an op-ed on her own enemy. Paul told me to stay silent, but now I must say something. Let's unpack some of what is there. And and maybe we saw, I didn't see this coming two weeks after an election. Kind of, you got to let the, the embers cool a little bit. The green party did pretty poorly. They flamed out. They decide that we need to change the leader. I guess that's their want, but I didn't, figure on elizabeth may sort of shoveling dirt on what 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 occurred
2: well elizabeth may just proved what i said last week which is
0: remind people um, what you said
2: i said that uh where was elizabeth may like what was she doing where was the support from her because it doesn't look like she supported paul at all and how she really just time after time again just undermined her and this i mean thank you elizabeth may for proving my point
0: it's a weird one, right? Because I always felt like she kind of hung out. And since we were talking pop culture earlier, a little bit like when Conan O'Brien got the tonight show and you still got Jay Leno hanging around the network. And as Letterman said, you just don't do that, right? There's an etiquette. Of course you might want, everybody's probably wanted somebody else's job at some point in time. Somebody wants yours. Somebody wants mine, but there's a process and an etiquette. And, and I'm not sure Elizabeth may, I think we all heard those whispers the entire two year, you know year and a half for Anime Paul. I'm not sure proper protocol and, and, and a system of honor was followed.
2: No, I doubt it. the The thing about it is like um, that's a great reference for, by the way, Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno. But really what it's about is power, right? And for both Jay Leno and Elizabeth May, this party. Or their these projects are a source of their power, and they don't want to give that up. I mean, it wasn't. Isn't Elizabeth May's husband in the party too, in the Federal Council, or wasn't he?
0: I don't know that for sure. But, but.
2: she, she, um, I know he was part of uh, the structure in some way. So she had him and her and a new leader and we're supposed to believe that, that Adamie Paul had all the support and all of the freedom in the world. It's ridiculous. It's a joke. That whole op-ed is a joke. It's disgusting. Actually.
0: Do you weigh in on the star kind of not, yeah. not vetting it and, and not sort of, you know, yes. yeah, you do.
2: So, so I do want to weigh in on okay. that. Okay. Cause Probably like I did a, um, the stars podcast last week and, um, basically, uh, through the editing process, um, you know, I got edited, right? Fine. I don't have a problem. Everybody should be edited, but the star (laughs) did not even like identify that as an opinion piece until their staff called them out on it. And that to me, I have questions about that. And I have questions about the editorial process and who gets who gets edited and who doesn't is exactly a reflection of that power I talked about.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thought because you can imagine there's times there's times, sometimes when um, during a live interview, uh, I, I want to push back and I want to have a friendly debate and, and I want to oh. have a conversation. It's hard on the radio, right? It's easier when people yeah. aren't important in person. They can raise a finger. They can give you an eye nod. So it's hard to communicate when people can't see each other and nobody ever wants to be, um, you know. I, I would admit that sometimes, um, especially if it's a male-female conversation, the last thing I want to get accused of is um what's the f- mansplaining when I'm actually just having a conversation I'm I'm yeah. trying to know more I'm trying to I'm trying to become smarter. I'm like enlighten, educate, let's evolve our opinions here. but it's dangerous, yeah. right and and so sometimes even recording interviews you worry about that edit because you want to get it right and you'd never want somebody to bounce back as you are and, and sounds like rightly so and saying you're taking out important chunks of what I was saying and it manipulates the message a little bit.
2: Right, 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 right. Speaking of manipulation, that's exactly what that star <laughs> op-ed was. What? What? I mean, Elizabeth May, in the star op-ed, basically says, oh, well, I wanted an Indigenous leader, but one wasn't available. So Adam e. Paul was, you know, was elected. Excuse me, what? That is, I don't, that is a level of white supremacy that I cannot even handle. So basically... People of color, BIPOC p- women to you, or people to you, are just pawns on a chessboard for you to play with to make sure that you get the right image for the Green Party. And I was saying last week that um, that the timing is interesting or how this unfolded, and that the Green Party had problems with racism and transphobia before Annamie Paul. There was a Globe article out. Pretty much, you know, stated that these problems were already there before Paul came in. So again, why was why was Paul elected? Oh, because Elizabeth because Elizabeth May wanted a person of color in charge, and that was it. And that is reflective of the diversity efforts in this country. There's still window dressing. There's still no support. There's still no. Um, you know, there's still a high level of control. I mean, it's, it's, it's
0: ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's it's really. I want to reset. Eric Eiffel joining us, Hill Times columnist on Global News Radio um, on Toronto today on Global News Radio six forty Toronto. Here's here's a sentence I want to see what how it lands for you. Her leadership style. This is from May's op-ed. Obviously, her leadership style clashed with party culture almost from the beginning. Now, when I read when I hear that sense, what it made me think of, and I talked about it with a couple people yesterday, and even over the weekend, is Hillary Clinton. So uh, what I heard during the U.S. election, I traveled down. I've got relatives in Ohio. I lived in Michigan 10 years, blah, blah, blah. You're
2: good. Thank you these links are good good Go ahead.
0: good but what i heard the most adamant opinion i heard and maybe this is just my little world and my little community the people that didn't like hillary clinton the most were women were women who said um it could be anything well she shouldn't have stayed with bill and i'm like i don't know what goes on in anybody's marriage except my own i don't know how to judge that i don't know what wh- whether she feels she should have left him or not or forgiven him or not we do this like we're ridiculous about about going into other people's marriages and telling people what they should do so there's that but i do think like i look now and i see aoc is a different politician than nancy pelosi um kamala harris is a different politician than hillary clinton but i wonder how how the statement there lands to you was with elizabeth may saying her leadership style clashed with party culture that that's a little bit of a warning sign right now that you're just you're just not doing the right dances but i'd make the case that a white woman hillary clinton wasn't doing the right dances for the democratic party in 2016 either
2: yeah um like patriarchy everywhere and um, definitely Hillary's run was 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 informed by misogyny. There's no doubt about that. Um, in terms of what May said, I mean, that is very coded language, to be honest, and it disturbs me because her leadership style, what does that even mean? Like, are we going to roll out the angry black woman tropes like they did before? The Green Party, because they did roll that out, if you remember,
0: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Um, or clashed with the culture of the what is the culture of your party? What is the culture
0: of the Green Party? I, gu- I get it. Who Who could identify
2: court says that the culture is racist and misogynist and, and transphobic. So I'm sorry, but mm. maybe Paul should be thankful she doesn't she doesn't fit within that party because that party I saw Jim Harris, a former leader, on mm. CZ News. It was disgusting. And it was disgusting because he basically accused Adamie Paul of making up racist racism allegations because she couldn't deliver. And I find that reprehensible. And it says a lot about the Green Party if those that's what the former leaders are saying.
0: But is it, let me ask you, is it a case where two things can be true? You have to acknowledge the racism. You have to acknowledge the ceilings that she had to shatter through. And if Anime Paul and you, Erica, could have a private conversation, she might say to you, oh, my God, I I do. You know, the the light was so bright, I would have done nine or ten things differently. And once you start, right, once you start down a path and, and you're walking in mud, it's tough to get out. I wonder if. But, but again, exactly. It is not a one scenario issue that, that Mm -hmm. led it to this point. And you got to acknowledge, you have to acknowledge the race. How could people not?
2: Exactly. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that she was perfect.
0: I know you're not. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, she was flawed, but everybody's flawed. And guess what? Everybody else gets a whole lot more room and a whole lot more support to, to, to smooth that out. Mm. Got attacked by her own party. Then, like, this, this situation blew up in the spring. How do you, as a party, kneecap your leader and then expect her to perform well in an election? Well, set her up to fail.
0: and I'm, t- uh, I, I, we're running out of time. But who, who's the next leader? Because guess what? If you put, to be honest, let's be fair, let's talk, let's talk real talk. If you put a white dude up there, people are going to go, oh, I see, that's the leader you're looking for. If it's another woman exactly. or a person of color, they're, oh, they're trying again. Now it's tough <laughs> for them to win because of, of, of the hole they walked themselves into.
2: Exactly. But that's not, that's not on us. That's on them. They created this mess. Mm-hmm. They think their bed, they need to lie in it.
0: Hey, I loved having you on. Thanks very much. Enjoy the day ahead. Thank you. Bye. Eric, Eric Eiffel, Hill Times columnist, joining us. Uh, our next guest, uh, fantastic city hall reporter. She's been busy lately. Uh, Toronto Star's uh, uh, Jennifer Pagliar. It's great to have you on. Uh, you know, we we talked Friday, and you did a great job advancing what was coming with the Supreme Court. I hope we can start with last night. And uh, wow, um, City Council met uh, virtually and uh, decided in a heavy vote, more uh, one way than the other. Jennifer, fourteen to five that they did not support an investigation into the clearing of uh, one of the homeless encampments this summer. Um, Counselor Josh Matlow's been adamant there should be one. We had Counselor Mike Layden on the show. I'm going to play you a clip from uh, him and for our audience in a second, but were you surprised the vote went as far the one way as it did?
3: Hey, good morning, Greg. You know, that one I'm not surprised about because we have seen Mayor Tory very specifically and deliberately saying that, this was a necessary action taken by the city. And so in some ways, having uh, an inquiry of any kind find the opposite would be uh, in some ways a knock, a knock against him. He's been highly supportive of, this, of these moves that the city has made saying that the park space needs to be accessible for everyone. And that's been highly controversial, but I think that because the mayor does still have a firm control over council and because he doesn't wanna see any uh, negative Uh, outcomes of those investigations then it makes sense to me that uh that they pushed to not have any additional uh uh, oversight of that
0: josh matlow tweeted last night um the sentence we need a new mayor any and then the tweet was later deleted um but it's emotion in the moment we've all been there uh maybe online and otherwise I found that interesting, um, and I don't know if that was sort of a, an announcement of, of, of that, that he would run for mayor, but I found that really intriguing that it got to that point where, Josh, it, this was this has been an obviously emotional issue for an awful lot of counselors. Uh, Kristen Wong-Tam has been one. As I said, Mike Layton's been one. There have been people adamant that if nothing was wrong, if nothing was done inappropriately, why not investigate, and who wouldn't want to clear their name? The cops would want their names cleared. The mayor would want his name cleared, but it's not going to happen.
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's been, it has been, you're right, really emotional for a lot of councillors. They've received uh, a lot of different opinions from the community, right? Like on one hand, they have people that live around these parks, um, pressuring them to do something about the encampments, And then on the other hand, there's been a really strong uh, voice of advocates uh, from all over the city, um, really criticizing these counselors for not stepping up uh, and taking Uh, a a very principled approach to the encampments and the the idea that housing is a human right and pushing back against the mayor for supporting these clearings. And so these councillors, you've seen some of the ones you mentioned, have been under a ton of pressure. And so it's been an incredibly emotional summer, I think, for all of them. And uh, so, yeah, that that emotion uh, is is certainly interesting. Um, You raised a good point about, you know, we have a municipal election coming up next year. We uh, talked a little bit about that Mm -hmm. last week. But, uh, you know, certainly Councillor Matlow is one of the names that's been floated as a potential uh, mayoral candidate. And we're actually really closely watching that right now because Mayor John Tory has not definitively said either way whether he'll seek a third term.
0: My 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 sense is, is, that he won't. Do you have a sense one way or the other? And a lot of people have said, look, COVID's worn a lot of politicians down. John, John Tory has has quite a legacy in terms of leadership at a lot of different levels and doing a lot of different things. And uh and and you know, it it I'm sure it hasn't been easy running Canada's biggest city, and you and I talked about it last week and the fact that you gotta go, as you pointed out, his words, cap in hand sometimes to the province and ask for this and ask for that. Um, so it's John Tory can certainly do other things. It's not just run this out until uh until you're sitting on a park bench somewhere.
3: Yeah, I mean he uh obviously is independently Wealthy. He's uh, certainly uh, approaching retirement age. He doesn't need to do this job. And uh, I wouldn't describe it as a fun job. I think the job you and I have is pretty fun. I wouldn't describe that as a fun job. And it has mm. been incredibly difficult, especially running this city during a pandemic, um, being the face of that. Um, the criticism that he receives on a daily basis, I do think, affects him. I, I do think that um, he hears that and is uh, impacted by it. And there's also a lot of personal reasons you have to consider for not running, right? He's got a family. He has, he has grandkids. Um, you know, his his uh, wife, uh, obviously, is a consideration for him. They must, they may want to, you know, retire together. This is obviously the kind of job that keeps you away from home more than the 9 to 5. So I'm really interested to see. You know, there's lots of rumors. I've heard, you know, I've heard a lot of things from a lot of uh, reliable and unreliable people. But whether he's running again... <laughs>
0: <laughs> we always hear things from unreliable people and we tend not to go with them. It's weird how that works itself out, isn't it? <laughs>
3: exactly. And you know, if I wouldn't count him out yet, like, unless, mm. you know, if he says definitively, he won't run again, I'll believe that. Um, but until he is prepared to say one way or the other, I, I, I'm not sure that he's uh, actually decided yet.
0: Jennifer Pagliaro, our guest, Toronto Star uh, columnist and City Hall uh, reporter. We will. Um, here's here's Mike Layton on yesterday's show. I want the audience to hear it and you to hear it, talking about that 2018 chaos when council was cut to a smaller number. Well,
4: listen. What we were told is that somebody knew from his office the day before. The fact is, we were on our last day of council. We can't legally put something on the agenda uh, to to debate and to have a to formulate a position as council unless we have a council meeting. And so by by not adding something to the agenda earlier, it really did. It, it, it really did get in the way of the debate. And, and I wasn't trying to challenge anyone's authority. Uh, what I was trying to do is say, hey, we would just like to know, because the rules didn't change for John Tory. They changed for, for, for the rest of us. They changed for all the councillors. The, the, the rule, the extension of the date for people to sign up to run for mayor didn't change. In fact, mm-hmm. members of, of, of the Tory administration knew about it prior uh, and perhaps didn't take it seriously. And you know... Some of the stuff uh, Doug Ford says you might not want to take seriously, uh, and and maybe you shouldn't. Uh, but uh, but when it's an important decision like this, you at least have to make sure that uh, that they that that the premier understands your position. Mm. Uh, whether or not you take him seriously
0: or not. So that's Councillor Mike Layton, Jennifer, from yesterday's show. And and it speaks to the, the larger point you made, that there's going to be, and you tweeted this, uh, I'll read your tweet back, the ongoing power struggle, this decision does not resolve the ongoing power struggle between provinces and cities when it comes to dictating own elections, taxes, and more. And this Mike Layton saying, boy, I wish the mayor had fought harder, but there are those that defend the mayor and say there's only so much he could have done in this scenario. He can't He can't overrule Doug Ford when Doug Ford wants to chop the size of city council.
3: Yeah, I mean, to some extent, like, that we learned that, right? The Supreme Court of Canada, highest court in the land, says the province acted legally. And even though some people may disagree with that, but this is our judicial system. This is the, the system that we've set up for ourselves. And so there's obviously much bigger conversations we could have about whether we accept the way, you know, the Constitution and the Charter are. Uh, and those things aren't you know infallible. They can be changed, but that's a very difficult process for for good reason. And you know, in some ways, I think um, it hasn't been really discussed very much that the twenty five ward system actually really benefits Mayor John Tory. You know, we just talked mm-hmm. about the decisive decision with the encampment. He has full control over council this way. And if he does decide to run again, you know, having a 47-word system really mixes things up for him, where there may be situations where, you know, coalitions of different councillors, depending on, you know, what part of the city they represent or their political leanings, could actually have the upper hand and, and have a majority on major votes. And that's not something that Mayor John Tory would want. So it makes sense to me why he was somewhat deferential about this decision, partly because, you know the supreme court of canada ruled and there's really not anything more to say about that on the legal front and secondly because i actually think that he prefers it this way
0: i you know we got about a minute here but you quoted chris Moyes in the story and i thought the quotes were really really powerful he and he said to you everyone's trying to work around a system that's broken and continues to be broken when there's four years between municipal elections and this happened right you know on the doorstep for 2018 it's like it makes our next election it's not makes it not just more intriguing but just more important it almost gives people closure doesn't it to move on we're going to move on with these mega wards and and maybe there will be some change to structure or not but in a post-covid world it does feel like like change is coming it feels like it it, but we got to get people to step up and people will need to say i'm in i'm i'm going to commit myself to public service who otherwise might not have
3: Yeah, in some ways, the Supreme Court decision is a very, like, clean finish, as you say. Like, now we just know what the 2022 election will be. There won't be any further, like, debate at council or anything like that for the upcoming election. But, you know, Chris, you bring up a good point, Chris Moyes. You know, you know, politics aside and whether or not he would have been a good councillor, et cetera, you know, he is the kind of person that is underrepresented on council. Um, He is queer, he is black, and council is predominantly... A middle upper income, you know, male mm-hmm. white council. It is not reflective of our city, uh, in in any respect. Uh, you know, there's only one openly queer counselor. There are a minority of women. Um, there are no renters uh, that I know of on council. For example, when we talk about this encampment debate and yeah, and uh, the perspective that councillors bring to the council table, right? And that's a real issue that I think we'll have to contend with going forward, and again and and maybe I'll come back on and we'll we'll talk about this you know post election, but there are ways in which you know we could force change,
0: yeah, yeah, oh no there's there's no doubt, uh, and we're gonna see, I think we're just gonna see a lot of different campaigning and and again, hopefully. You know, a year from now, snap of the fingers, uh, a lot of the COVID aspect of of how we campaign is behind us, because as we just saw with the federal election, it's hard to enact change when we're in the midst of a pandemic, no matter how loud people get about it. Uh, Toronto Star City Hall reporter Jennifer Pagliaro, reader stuff in the Star. It's great to have you. Thank you very much for making the time for me.
3: Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Greg.
0: Uh, Anthony Fury joins us now, uh, columnist from the Toronto Sun. I know this is a passion uh, project and a passion talking point of yours. And and yeah, like I, I look at September and I go, things are going really well. We had a, um, you know, very well-versed doctor on in the, in the 645 hour. And I said, I, I just think a lot of parents won't get their six and seven year olds vaccinated if they feel they're healthy and those kids are healthy as well. And, um, it, you know, I, I I think that's the reality, isn't it?
5: I think that is the reality. I mean, look, one of the reasons that I've taken to writing on the kids and COVID issue so much, Greg, is because uh, to the point of some of those texts you were receiving, the data shows that kids are the least affected by COVID, the least likely to have serious outcomes. And in fact, many pediatricians say that uh, coronavirus is less severe than influenza when it comes to children. I was speaking to Ronnie Cohn, president and CEO of Sick Kids Hospital a few months ago, and he said this is the, the positive news that we should be celebrating. There are not many silver linings to the past year and a half one of them is, oh, phew, we thought this would be a thing that would be killing our children. And it's not. It's it's uh, much milder in our kids than it is every other age bracket. And then overlay that with the fact that kids are the ones who have suffered the most from lockdowns. And look, you, you know how it is. When, when I ask people to email in, tell their stories about what's going on in their families, the hardships kids have suffered, oh boy, it is immense. The eating disorders, the, the, the mental health admittances at hospitals and so forth. It's a very real thing. So, Anytime we can lessen the restrictions, the protocols, the burden kids are facing, we gotta do it. Adults have to have to rise to the occasion. I mean the rule in the Titanic, it was not children off last.
0: Well, it's amazing to me also because we all, we all went to the wall, to the mat, whatever phrase you want to use for our 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 parents and our grandparents. We did that for months on end. We gave up so much, and they said, "Absolutely, thank you." Why wouldn't we do the same thing for our kids? And that's not that's the opposite almost of of locking down. That's letting them get back out there. Like uh, Anthony, I think you and I have said this before. A lot of people can differ on on opinions uh, about COVID, but I, I could keep hanging out and doing Doing this forever, but who do I? Where do I want this to end? Who do I want to get their existence back? My own kids, who I'd throw myself in front of a moving car for, and my parents, who raised me to be the person that I am. I can keep doing this for a while, but I want things back for them, not necessarily me.
5: No, absolutely. I, I saw someone post on social media when I, I guess I had said, you know, we, we do want to lift these protocols on kids, and we want to get to the point where they're not masking in classrooms in Ontario. Such is the case in many other jurisdictions in the Western world. They're not worse off from it. Uh, a lot, you know, kindergarten, grade one, two, three, four. Some some countries have never had kids in masks, and it hasn't really made a big problem for them. And I saw someone say on social media, "That's Fury's endgame." You know, it's evil to lift the restrictions <laughs> on kids. Like, yes, if, I mean, what do you mean? If your endgame is not to lift the restrictions on kids, what sort of priorities do you have? What world are you living in right now? Of course, we should be. Uh, looking to minimize things and ease things as soon as possible. And I do think Ontario kind of operates in a bit of an information silo right now, Greg, compared to talking it out about what they've been doing in other jurisdictions. Looking forward to the announcement later this morning. Uh, Look, British Columbia, they have never isolated entire cohorts because... Uh, one kid in the class test positive. They've never done that. They've never sent a whole class home for 14 days, similar for other countries. Let's talk about getting there.
0: Well, you know, I, I had I had listeners in January, February, and I still have a couple periodically who say, you know what, you guys aren't talking about COVID zero. What's wrong with talk? And when you see yesterday... Because um, I say, well, we've got the vaccines here, so that's not practical, and, they're, and the lockdowns are harmful. And when you see New Zealand, you probably saw this, I did too, New Zealand's prime minister, a darling for how they handled COVID, say, we can't do it, we can't eradicate it, we can't get to COVID zero, so basically we're waving the white flag on the COVID zero policies, and I'm like... Well, they're doing it. They don't have a, a a country to the south of us like the United States. They sit there, tiny island. Of course, you could do these kind of things if you were New Zealand or Hawaii. We got a lot more complex issues than that. If they're giving up and they know they can't do it, we had no hope from the beginning. And it was a foolish policy to talk about COVID zero.
5: I would agree. And and definitely now, I mean, it's being abandoned. People who were advocates of it have, have renounced it. I don't want to speak for others, but I noticed that uh, Prominent Dr. Andrew Morris. He was a big COVID zero advocate. And the other week he was saying on social media, look, guys, it's done. This is not yeah. a
0: practical
6: thing
5: yeah. uh, to work towards. And, and I appreciate that. I mean, people are, are revising their positions and and look, whether it's Dr. Kieran Moore, whether it's in Alberta and BC and Manitoba, every single chief medical officer in Canada has used the phrase learning to live with COVID that is where we are at right now
0: that's where we're at and and it'd be great once in a while if people said guess what um this didn't go as badly as i thought and i'm happy about it <laughs> like I, like if we don't have nine thousand cases showing up on our doorstep which as we talked about was the you know was basically if we dropped everything but that get that message gets where we, i want to talk about the facebook thing with you in a sec but that's where we we struggle sometimes where the neighbors start to go did you hear we're going to have nine thousand cases by october 1st no that's 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 not what they said, but they also can do a better job of projecting that out. We could I can do a better job. Newspaper people, radio people, we all can do a lot. I'm sure we've all made mistakes in 20 months. It's great that we raise our hand and go, my bad on that one.
5: Yeah, it is kind of a chuckle to see the latest Science Table report that said we may be looking at. I think the variance was anywhere from two thousand, sorry, two hundred cases per day to nine thousand cases per day. I was like, yeah, that reminds me of that time I went to the racetrack. And I said, I'd like to put ten <laughs> bucks on my horse placing somewhere <laughs> first and last. Do you know what the payout is that on, on that, Greg? You know what's the payout on that bet?
0: Yeah, yeah, it works that way. Uh, Anthony Ferret joining us from the Toronto Sun. So um, today, I think is really, really interesting um, with a, with the Facebook whistleblower. I watched. I don't know if you, how, how much you saw of the the sixty Minutes chat. This woman used to work at Facebook. Um, there are elements as you know and I know. Social media can. You know, be enriching. It can provide people with conversations that right. wouldn't always be there. Um, you know, though you and I were able to meet in person. There's plenty of people during the pandemic you've probably gotten in touch with, I've gotten in touch with, they've gotten in touch with us. And some form of relationship gets established, but it's got its darkness. It's got its problems. When you see uh, when you see what happened yesterday with not just the blackout, when you see that there was a huge report on it, it does make people a little bit suspicious about where we're going with this. We do have to change this, don't we? We do have to regulate social media for not just us, but for the future of our kids here. You talk about a you talk about a drug that's not regulated. Social media is it.
5: Uh, Yes and no. I'm a little reluctant with the regulations. I mean, I think anytime you have a free speech issue or a communications issue, the issue is more communication, more speech, you know, more media outlets, more newspaper outlets, more online enterprises. Same for social media. I mean, Facebook does seem to just dominate the globe. At the same time, we've heard concerns about previous corporations that, you know, they're going to dominate. No, they don't. Competition comes along. Uh, People get tired of Facebook. They move on to new things. But you make a good point, Greg, that there are people who have, you know, they have met someone online that is. Been their, been their loving spouse for you know, the rest of their lives. There's someone they meet online, they create a charitable organization with. Other people meet online and they make a connection that leads to them doing terror attacks together. You know, yeah. the, the, the variance is so broad in terms of what happens and there's a lot of coming together, but there's a lot of division going on out there as well. I, I think the one thing that's a lesson, while I don't support any sort of whatever server attacks took down these social media platforms or however it happened, to get a break away from social media, I mean, you know those times when you go, all right, I'm getting out of town, I'm going up to the woods, I'm turning the thing off for five days. I always feel like a refreshed person, and I always feel like a saner individual after I've done that, and I feel like that probably holds true for everybody.
0: It, it probably does, and and at the same time, right, there's there's a bunch of different layers. Bill C-10, was that was that bad? Was that clunky? Was that an overstep? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but that's a big distinction from, we've got to find a way to reduce hate reduce the threat of terror reduce threats that that people make whether it's men to women whether it's people to politicians we've got to find a way um to to, to you know the anonymity is a huge huge problem and making people accountable for what they say if it can be it can be it can be it can be pushed out in the real world then it's something where we have to have some kind of regulation for it, and we don't right now
5: yeah but you know i'm a free speech absolutist i mean there's already things on the books about uh Uh, threats, intimidation, libel, defamation, and I think maybe there are just some cases where where that stuff needs to be followed through a little bit more so people learn that they have to behave themselves in an online mm-hmm. environment i mean things that are on the books are pretty robust already so if you, if you have been uh, defamed if someone is actually threatening you know your person online you do have legal recourse and feel free to use that uh
0: aaron o'toole will meet with his caucus today we talked about it two weeks uh two weeks ago after the election um there's a lot of debate as to whether there's going to be a leadership right. review has anything changed in your mind 13 14 days later i'll raise my hand and say boy I got it wrong I didn't see the immediacy for pushing Andrew Scheer out that occurred in late 2019 but the conservatives were adamant this was an open goal you blew it too much social conservatism on the table we need a fresh face I can't believe Anthony they would do it again what's your instinct here
5: Yeah, and yet it's different issues that they're supposedly facing there in O'Toole than they did with Andrew Scheer, and I think the pushing out of Tom Mulcair as NDP leader. Similarly, I mean, did it really benefit you? Uh, The party kind of was in a worse position after Jagmeet Singh got in uh, to the leadership post. So, I mean, I think people kind of need to comment because there are mechanisms in place that allow for cooler heads to prevail. Leadership reviews actually have to happen in in pretty much every major political party in North America after somebody loses an election, after a leader loses the election. Now, the current review is enslaved till 2023, uh, which is why I understand some conservatives want to see it uh, sooner. But I I will say this. I mean, it's Aaron O'Toole's uh, to hold on to in that if he can't sort of... uh, convince people, yes, I should stay. If he can't convince his own caucus, he certainly can't convince the nation. So while I don't think, to your point, this sort of knee-jerk, gotta-get-the-guy-out-right-away thing is appropriate, it's probably a good exercise for Aaron O'Toole to at least convince people why he should stick around.
0: But you're right. But I think you can misread the. R- I would say Democrats misread the room. Maybe not even knowing who the opponent was going to be. Like if you know who the opponent is, if they know it's Donald right. Trump, if they know that it is, and that seemed such a long shot when they started to roll the carpet out for Hillary Clinton, and say it's finally your time. It wasn't in 2008, and it wasn't um, prior to that. But that that looked once that once that matchup got set, so like sports. You're like. Like, oh, there's some weaknesses here. There's some relatability issues. There's people that are just going to stay home because they don't like either candidate in these battleground states. And that'll cost us. That's the interesting one, right? If it's Trudeau again, I don't know if it's more likely or less likely to be O'Toole. If you knew it wasn't, then to me, you stick with O'Toole because he's the more established politician than anybody, Christian Freeland or anybody knew that they would push out there.
5: No, it's a very good point. And I think the Conservatives have always suffered from overestimating Justin Trudeau. In 2015, they said, there's no way anyone will like this guy or vote for him. Then he got a majority. By 2019, you know, they were sick of Trudeau more than ever. So they extrapolated that to the broader population. Nobody likes Trudeau. Oh, Andrew Sure will get in. We'll beat him. No, he was still liked mm-hmm. by many people. Again, this time, come on. Surely no one wants Trudeau still in. Yeah, a lot of people did still want the guy in. Whether you're of that view or not, clearly many Canadians were. So I think they they mistake their own frustration and, and you know, flat out disdain for Trudeau as the pulse of the nation. And it wasn't,
0: it wasn't Uh good chat. Anthony. Thanks as always. We'll talk next week. Thank you, sir. Anthony Fury from the uh, Toronto sun, our fantastic four segment where we, uh, I don't think we can talk about anything else. Shiba Siddiqui, Rob Trevison, Dave Bradley uh, joins us. Shiba, there's not much uh, we can talk about. Let's talk about your uh, disruption, a six-hour gap. and we, It's so funny that we talked about it yesterday, what we use, right? Facebook, Instagram. You said you've been off Instagram forever. WhatsApp. WhatsApp's my big communication for a, a lot of things, soccer parents, friends from overseas, so we're not getting texting fees. What Was your life disrupted for the six hours yesterday?
6: You know what i talk a lot about how yeah i'm not on instagram i barely use social media i'm fine without it and yesterday i caught myself because sure i don't use facebook but i felt it WhatsApp was my it's my lifeline and i realized yesterday how seriously i take WhatsApp, how dependent i am on it how addicted i am to it and it was to the point where i was kind of i had a little bit of a twitch i was shaking a little bit and i would check it like every 20 minutes, I would be like, okay, what's going on? Is it back? Is it back? Is it back? Because I have so many groups on there. It is my method of socialization during this pandemic. And I I, I feel I'm a terrible person. I'm addicted to my WhatsApp.
0: Dave, there's three theories here about yesterday, right? There's, hey, stuff happens. And I want to use a different word than stuff. The second one is Facebook took themselves offline. And the third is obviously a hack. The third feels like the least likely, but in a world of conspiracy theories, the morning after a 60 Minutes interview that kind of exposes yeah. them a little bit, the day before congressional testimony from the same person, you have a theory on it?
7: Uh, I I don't want to wade too far into that, but uh, yeah, I, I just found it funny that a lot of people were weighing in on Facebook this morning complaining about the outage. (laughs) on facebook which uh i was like or or some people saying you know i wish it never came back my life was so much better for the six hours that i didn't have facebook and i didn't have all the anxieties of keeping track of everybody so it's like well but you're complaining on facebook about it just didn't make any sense but yeah it was uh, yeah there's a fourth reason i think a bird flew into the server
0: that can happen that's happened when your mic doesn't work it's not that we're shutting it off rob (laughs) that's just that's there's a bird that a pesky bird that keeps flew into the mic it's not a suicide mission it just keeps coming around and around (laughs) and around and around it's funny because i noticed my instagram was
5: not working and i was like okay who cares right like i don't need it or anything and i totally thought i bet you something happened and then around seven o'clock at night i found out that something happened
0: Here's a statement today, though, that she's going to say, and I want to get your reaction to Sheba uh, with and, uh, you know, we've all got kids, but uh, th- this will get said today by Francis Hogan. The dangerous this dangerous online talk Facebook promotes has led to actual violence that harms and kills people. In other cases, their profit optimizing machine is generating self-harm and self-hate, especially for vulnerable groups like teenage girls. These problems have been confirmed repeatedly by Facebook's own internal research. And there was a deeper dive story yesterday on CNN, which said if, if you're a teenage girl and you type and even on on instagram or even in a private chat oh i'm concerned i'm i'm gaining weight or whatever they know this and they they flood the zone if you will they flood the zone with 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 things that actually encourage you to eat more i couldn't believe what i was hearing about the report
6: (sighs) this scares me so much when these studies come out and this information comes out, I mean, I'm the mother of a... I mean, she's still very young, my daughter, but I mean, if she's going to get up there. She's going to be a teenager soon. And I also have sons who are almost teenagers. So for me, I do notice the difference in it. I, my my boys have no interest in social media at this point. They care about video games and Minecraft, and that's their life. She is... She's eight, and she's, you know, she's aware, she's aware of, she's, I don't let them on social media yet. They can do whatever they want with their video games, but I see it coming. And it's not just teenage girls. Sure, they are very vulnerable, especially at that age, but it's also women. I know so many yeah. women who get on Instagram and then they feel like crap as soon as they log off and think, you know, I need to start working out more. I need to start eating healthier. It's just so much self-loathing. So is these- it, but
0: it's worth asking, is it other women that make them feel? Feel like i always think about that i've always i thought that from the age 10 at the grocery store when i see a cosmo cover or you know like like a lot of the magazines are geared towards women and i think do women women buy these magazines but do the covers do the articles make women like look inside themselves and not like themselves as much i don't know i don't think there's men's magazines that are kind of like that if i see brad pitt i'm like hey he's brad pitt and i'm greg brady i I live with that (laughs) principle that's okay
6: the vast difference between the two, right? That's what you're trying to say? Yeah, uh, I, I do think there is a huge issue. I, mean, I think it's come a long way. I think that there's more of a focus on just being strong and being healthy now as opposed to being, you know, stick skinny and blonde. And that's the ideal of beauty. Uh So it is changing. But I, I yeah, there is so much pressure for women. And this is conversations I have with my daughter all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to teach her that strong is better than skinny. Just that's the focus. It's
0: that trade-off, right, Dave? Like you, like uh, we're sharing, you know, we think, well, the pizza will taste good, but I'll feel, you know, I have six slices. I'll okay. feel it a little bit late. But so we're sharing <laughs> fun photos of our kids with old yeah. friends. We're making contacts. But we get inundated with misinformation and we give up a ton of privacy. We know that that's the trade-off. That's yeah, obvious.
7: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And you're being tracked and, uh, you know, ads are targeted towards you depending on uh, what you've searched on Google, uh, on, on the platform that you're using. But w- what I find about social media is it's it's a complete veneer of your real life. I mean, you're picking the best moments of your life. You're not posting the bad photos. You're not posting the, the time your child's having yes. a meltdown in the grocery store. You're... Uh, posting the picture of a smiling face in front of a birthday cake you know so you really have to weigh that with what you're seeing you're like wait a second this is their best version of their life i'm doing okay in my own life and i have to remember that right
0: yeah it's finding the middle great well it's either really idealistic or, or it's really dark and it's where yeah. people go to share their problems when they probably just need to sit with their partner or need to sit face to face with somebody and or, and
7: get it out there for the people that know you the best. Some you know? people just like to vague book as well, where they just post, uh, you know, like, oh, another mm. day like this. And you're like, what? Mm. Oh, no, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, oh, okay, great.
0: <laughs> Rob, Rob does after every show. I just, once we find those secret posts about uh, yep. him having to work on this show, That's it's right. uh, <laughs> it's all over. Hey, thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Appreciate you listening. Back tomorrow for a live show between 5.30 and 9 on Global News Radio 640 Toronto with Sheba Siddiqui, Rob Trevisan and news anchor Dave Bradley. Hope you can join us then. If not, continue to find us right here where you found us in the first place. Subscribe to us. Rate us as a podcast. Tell you, tell us what you'd like to hear more of as well. All that constructive criticism, always welcome. Have yourself a great Tuesday.